Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. race is on and it's all happening in the F1 driver market with George Russell standing in for Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes, Jack Aitken standing in for Russell at Williams and Haas also announcing its 2021 driver lineup of Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin. I'm Ed Straw and joining me to discuss these moves is Mark Hughes. Well Mark, hello, presumably you're still holed up in your Bahrain hotel so any expectations of a, a quiet end to the season with the titles done and dusted? It's just been utterly shattered, hasn't it, with what's been going on the past few days? <laughs> yeah, this is the busiest time of the year, as it's turned out. Um, not only you know, are we working on all the end-of-season stuff and the, the season review stuff, but uh, yeah, it's suddenly just gone manic in the driver market as well. Um, partly, only partly thanks to um, Lewis' positive COVID test. But uh, yeah, uh, an awful lot happening. Um, so part, partly as a, a result of... Um, We've also we've also had um, the replacement of uh, temporary replacement of uh, Roman Grosjean for this weekend at Haas. So yeah, all in all, an awful lot happening in a very compressed uh, few days in between two races. Which is a good excuse for some extra podcasts. We've already done one on Pietro Fittipaldi. You can find that in our feed as the last episode that came out on Monday at some point. So we're going to look at the subsequent driver moves. So let's start off with where we have to start off. George Russell in the fastest car in Formula One. Currently, it's a one-weekend appointment, although obviously he could get the second outing in Abu Dhabi. This is really significant, isn't it? What He gets the chance to show what he can do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's looked um, every, every every step of the way in his career. He's done absolutely everything that could be expected of him. He's always delivered. And it, it, it just it was a, a sort of constant frustration for the rest of us watching him um, having to compete at the back of the field or sort of worse than the back of the field last year just sort of hanging off the back of the field Um, at least this year he's been able to race and um, with you know some of the other teams back there Um, and it's he's easily got enough uh, experience and those Formula One experience in those data banks now to translate his obvious potential Um, but until we see him in an absolutely top car, it's it's difficult to gauge exactly what the the, the potential is. Um, it, it's it's uh, is is it is it high or is it super high? You know, is is he a, a good Grand Prix driver or is he an amazing Grand Prix driver? So we're going to get the first clues to that uh, this weekend. I would say yes. 
Yeah, well, we know he's very quick. He's been in Q2 nine times this season. He's also a fine race driver. He's got a little bit of an unfair reputation as someone who throws it away, but he's hardly had any shots at points. Yes, the crash under the safety car at Imola was was dreadful, but it's one of those things that happens. You can kind of get away with it once, just have to, have to learn from it. Mugello, he could have scored points, but wheel spin at the, the final restart. Now, this Williams is not an easy car to get off the line. Both drivers have, have said that, and Williams themselves have said he hit all the targets properly. And yeah, okay, he could have got the point that Kubica got last year in Germany, but he had that, that moment sliding off the track briefly in the rain. But this is not a regular point-scoring car, so you can't say that's a big enough sample set to say he's some kind of choker as a driver. And I think this is going to be a brilliant chance for him to show how good he is at absorbing a pressure situation because this is this is going to be really difficult jumping into an unfamiliar car to try and show how good you are yeah and if he's the type of character i think he is and then what's been suggested by his career to date that's act that pressure is actually going to be a, a a positive force that's actually having the spotlight upon him he's, i think he's the type of guy who will deliver under the spotlight I think he's going to be very comfortable there. That's just my um, gut instinct. The other, the other thing in his favour, of course, is that um, he is very familiar with the whole team and the the car from the, albeit from the simulator. Um, but he's he has a great relationship with all the key people in that team. You know, right through all the levels of engineering, spends a lot of time there. Has spent a lot of time there in the last few years, even during Grand Prix weekends when he wasn't uh, before. You know, before Williams times. Um, you know, this is a guy that got into when when he, he first tested the Mercedes. He, he set the fastest ever Formula One lap around the Hungara ring on at his first go. Um, we don't know exactly comparisons of the state of the track was it a good day or whatever but we know he's somewhere there or thereabouts and the other thing in his favor of course is that this track is essentially new to everyone so he's not um he's, he's not going into a weekend um in a situation where his teammate understands better the requirements of the car at this particular circuit because it's it's new to everyone i guess that's the the key question isn't it in this situation how exactly do we measure success? I'd completely endorse what you said about the kind of character Russell is. He's also got a very calm, methodical, intelligent approach. But what exactly does he need to do? Obviously, the the dream thing is you go in, you outpace Bottas, you win the race, which is, you know, it's possible, but it it's pretty unlikely, isn't it? So what would be a successful weekend for George Russell? Um, a successful weekend would be to get within, I guess... Uh less than two tenths uh, of, of Valtteri um, and, and to be on the podium and um, that that would be a sort of baseline of success and I think anything beyond that would be um, somewhere between excellent and sensational it's very possible because if he gets within that if he gets anywhere near that that within two tenths of Bottas he should be second on the grid and he should be potentially able to finish second in the race if he can get a good start and then do what he needs to do in the race. That's still asking quite a lot, but but it is possible. It's very difficult to get a feel for how big the Mercedes advantage will be this weekend, given it is that strange circuit. But if you look at, say, Monza, Mercedes had a 1% advantage over the second fastest car there. If it's that sort of scale, then being second is very, very much, much possible for, for Russell. But I think this has to be seen 
by Russell and Bottas will know this too. That this is a really important weekend for both of them in terms of the future for for 2022, isn't it? Because Mercedes will downplay it. Yes, it's a stand-in drive, but it has the elements of a of a of a pseudo shootout, doesn't it? Because you're being measured against your direct obvious rival for a seat in 2022. It's inescapable. Yeah, obviously Valtteri you know, has this series of one-year contracts, and he has he has the seat for next year, but, but um, nothing is guaranteed beyond that. And if we assume Lewis is going to continue, and you know, um, for another two or three seasons at least, which is what he's intimated, then yeah, absolutely, he's that he's he's got to be gunning for that seat, and it's it's very very explicit what um, what this comparison is is about, and. Um, they they tested I think they tested together at the Abu Dhabi, at Abu Dhabi last year, um, Valtteri and George that is, and were very closely closely matched there. So yeah, it's all um, it, it 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 is sort of set up really under the most explicit circumstances possible for what's at stake um, in twenty two. So the the other. Th- the other thing, just going back to your point about um, the Mercedes advantage around this sort of track, it's such a short lap that one error could put you back um, a lot. It's not because you're going to have so little time left in the lap to recover any any error. So um, yeah, that, that that that's gonna that's gonna be an important part of everyone's weekend coming up. I I would say, and so that's got to go into the mix as well. Yeah, I think overall it's positive for Russell that it's this circuit. I think that the most important thing is the fact that it's basically only four four corner complexes, you could say. Two of them are the familiar ones, the the first three turns and then the last technically two corners, but really the last single corner of the Grand Prix circuit. And then you've got the two, the, the sort of turn four, the right that starts the same as the normal track and then turns you left onto that top section of the track and then the uh, the run through turn uh I forget what the turn numbers are, but it's a left-right medium-speed chicane. So the really positive thing, I think, for Russell is that's not that many corners to get on top of in terms of mastering all the little tools and tricks, because this is the really difficult thing. All those diff maps and brake shapes and the engine braking setups, all these things that can have a small but significant impact on the dynamics of the car. He's not got a really, really complicated track, so he's got a few key areas to focus on, and I think that will help him. But for me, the really perilous situation is going to be Q1, isn't it? Because Not because he's not going to be fast enough, but 20 cars out on track at that circuit is a car every 177 metres, I think it is. Were they all there at the same time? There's potential for incidents. The toe's going to be significant. So that's your kind of perilous moment. That That's going to be the highest stress part of the weekend. That, that 20 minutes should get through, but you just never know what's going to happen. It could be chaos in that in that period. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I guess everybody's going to be trying to work out a clever strategy on when to hit the track um, to try and get some clear space. But it's, it's game theory, isn't it? Because everybody's going to try to be, be trying to do the same thing. Um, so it's probably going to end up just being random chance that how how compromised your lap is. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed um, you can get through that first hurdle because it's very easy for anyone to trip up there, you know could just as easily be Valtteri which, who trips up there. Uh, I don't think it's going to come down to experience that bit. It's going to come down to luck. So, yeah, once once he gets past that first hurdle, um, I think we then see um, a more um, 
you know, a, a more representative form, hopefully, um, to, 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 to what, what that comparison looks like. That's all Valtteri Bottas needs, isn't it? A situation like that where it's all down to luck, given that he's uh, yes. he's he's had none of that recently. He's had plenty of bad luck, but uh, <laughs> you know he just he just likes some neutral luck for for once. So so it is going to be interesting, and I'm interested to see what impact it has on on Bottas. As you mentioned earlier, it's been always these one year contracts. Even when they've announced a multi year deal, it's always a multi year deal that will keep him at the team for at least one more season. So it's always one more, one more, one more, and. He's admitted that's made it a bit tricky for him at times. So, so Bottas knows what's at stake here as well. And he basically has to win from pole position, doesn't he? And he can't necessarily strengthen his case, but he could he could weaken it a little bit because this is his shot to lead the team with no Hamilton there. And it might be the only shot, the only shot he gets to, to prove that before whatever point when Ham- Hamilton retires down the line. Yeah, absolutely. He's got um he's got to beat he's gotta beat Verstappen. Um as well as George, so um, you know, a couple of times this year he hasn't done that, and I, I don't mean things where he's, his tires exploded and things like that, things outside of his control. But I mean, where he's had a straight race and been beaten by Max, that's happened twice this year. Um, so it could always happen again this time for for the win rather than second place. So yeah, big pressure there, and also, I mean, the reality has got nothing to do with it, but the perception is going to be um, it, it's going to affect the perception of um just how big a part lewis played in, in in this domination this year um because if valtteri just takes over as the the dominant winner or even if um george somehow wins there's going to be uh you you'd be able to advance the the, the theory that well you can put anyone in that car um and and it will win on the other hand, um, if if it doesn't work out like that, um, then again, you, you it would reflect better on on Lewis. And, but you know, the the reality is, it's 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 way more complicated than that. We've discussed before how much intrinsic um, Lewis contribution is to to that, and how multifaceted it is. But for the just the general casual fan looking on I think the conclusions will be made based upon how um, Valtteri and George uh, get on this weekend. I think it's important to note that at the weekend we've just had Verstappen could well have beaten Bottas he was ahead on first runs in Q3 and that final lap Verstappen put together gave away a bit of time in the first sector a little bit off the last corner he could have been ahead of Bottas and then of course you've got the challenge of the start which is going to be quite interesting because Bottas has had a, a couple of difficult starts he's worked a lot on starts and sometimes it's been good sometimes it's been not so good George Russell also has had his problems with starts I think that's something that's more intrinsic to the Williams it's a very narrow window to get everything right in terms of your clutch deployment your your throttle etc Latifi's had problems with that as well so you're going to have these defining points of the weekend. Qualifying will play a big part in defining what kind of race they have. But then those early seconds of the race are going to be so important. Doubly so if those two Mercedes drivers are near each other. Because knowing George Russell, he's a competitive guy. If he has the chance to safely and reasonably pass Bottas in that in that, if he's behind, he'll try. But he could also find himself dealing with McLarens or, or Red Bulls and that kind of thing. He could lead the first lap. He could be eighth on the first lap. That's gonna that's gonna define the kind of race he's gonna face, isn't it? Yes. Um, 
I, I think he's level-headed enough that he's not going to do anything marginal. He's not going to go for a 50-50 a move on anyone, uh, least of all Valtteri. But yes, absolutely. If, if there's a clear opportunity there, he will go for it. He'll, he'll do it. And if he feels he's quicker, he, I, I'm sure he'll... You know, I can imagine um, a situation in which if he, f- if he feels he is quicker in the race but is behind, I can imagine a situation very similar to that of Charles Leclerc at um, Bahrain last year saying... Guys, what would what we're doing here? Um, I'm quicker, and and just making it, you know, um, very obvious what, what you know where where he's at. Uh, you know, I'm sort of uh, extrapolating to a ridiculous extent here because before he's even got into the car. But I'm just talking about the, his mindset and his um, competitive nature, um, regardless of where it turns out how he. he actually compares to Valtteri in, in, in the race and in qualifying. Yeah, and we have to recognise that Russell does have the potential to be, as you said, it's whether he's this outstanding driver or or just a very good one, shall we say. Bottas is a very, very good driver. He's just not quite as good as Lewis Hamilton. But Russell, yeah, there's a touch of magic. What he's been doing recently it has a li- little bit of echoes of, say, Alonso at Minardi kind of thing. You never can be completely sure whether whether that level translates into a top car and what the full-on level is, especially when you're against slightly weaker teammates. But he's the kind of driver who gets this sort of opportunity and seizes it, isn't it? That That's his personality. The key is, I guess, that he doesn't overreach, shall we say. He needs to make sure he, he, he does his best, does what's possible, but doesn't just try that little bit too hard and then undermine his own cause for a, for a seat down the line. Yeah, I think he's so level-headed that... Um... He, he will probably he will probably resist the temptation to do anything rash. Um, but I think his his performance will be gauged more on pace pace comparison, um, tire usage. Uh, you know the underlying things that that are behind the result rather than the result itself. Um, so. If he if he finishes second behind um, Valtteri, but has shown that um, he had pace in hand and that his tyres were in better condition when they came off, and uh, finds things on the car that uh, um, finds a, a better direction to go with setup, things like that, there will be um, the things that probably could swing it in his favour and would probably be more significant than the actual result, which is um, the big headline that the outside world is looking at. But in within the team, it'll be um, a, a deeper analysis than that. Any sympathy for Mercedes reserve driver Stoffel van Dorn, who will be heading out to Bahrain but will not be racing? Yeah, of course, on a human level, of course, because, you know, here, here, here was a possible chance to reignite your, your Formula One career in a, the most spectacular way possible and uh, dangled before him and then then it was think, looking at well maybe it won't be the Mercedes drive maybe it'll be the Williams drive as they get George and then it turns out it's not even that so he's just in his normal normal role as the uh, reserve driver yeah I'd have liked to have seen Van Dorn have a, a bit of a shot at, at redeeming himself he's a better driver than what he was able to show and it's one of those situations where actually all the the obvious candidates, because it was Russell Van Dorn and Nico Hulkenberg, super sub, were the three contenders, and they're all fascinating ones to see in that car. It would have been great for great for any of them really to ha- to have a go. But yeah, a little bit of sympathy for Van Dorn there. 
How about the man who replaces George Russell at Williams, Jack Aitken? Now, that might come as a bit of a surprise to people. He had a, a mediocre F2 season this year, finishing 12th, but he did finish 5th last year. He's a race winner in F2, championship winner in Formula Renault 2 leads, uh, you know, a, a good driver. Yeah, he's had an outing in the, in the car and free practice that was in Styria, so the Red Bull ring earlier this year. Interesting choice. Not a not a future superstar, but a decent little driver, Jack Aitken, isn't he? Yeah, Jack's no mug. Um, he's 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 at a, a pretty pretty good level and a very bright guy, sort of um, driver that you see um, quite often that starts out looking okay, but gets progressively more impressive um, if, if if given the chance. Um, his, his career is actually quite. Closely intertwined with George's, actually. There were teammates in both um, GP3 and in his first year at ART. Um, he finished runner-up uh, to George in GP3 uh, 2017, and um, he fin- albeit a long way behind George. Um, but, yeah, a, a good driver and definitely, definitely um, deserves a, a shot at Formula 1. And, uh, yeah, up to him to maximize this opportunity out of the blue yeah i think he's got a, a a good approach it's always interesting to see drivers thrown in in this situation it's not a it's not necessarily a promising situation for him but it's one where he can do himself a lot of good because obviously nick latifi qualifying's not been great for him this year he's been well off george russell race performances have been better but he knows the team he's got a little bit of familiarity with the car plenty of simulator work so it's that kind of situation where a, a driver who no one's really thinking about as an f1 candidate can can jump in and and enhance their reputation it's i mean a lot a lot of it's down to circumstance and and look and in how the the weekend unfolds but if he gets a clear run at it um I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be targeting um, out-qualifying Latifi and, and finishing ahead of him in the race. That's, that's got to be a realistic um, target for him if he's to um, retain you know, the, the credibility that uh, he's worthy of another chance in the future. Yeah, it's one of those things where his you could say maybe his single-seater career seemed to be winding down a little bit. Uh, after that difficult season in F2, but you you can reignite. I mean, Kamui Kobayashi is the example I always use. He he was going nowhere, got into a Toyota. Suddenly he's got a, an F1 career. So that that's sort of the thing that Aitken will be hoping for. I'm not saying Aitken's Kobayashi, but it's just an example of what's possible. Let's have a look at Haas. Two drivers confirmed that we have to start with Mick Schumacher, who was the second of the two confirmed. Won't dwell on him for too long because we did do that earlier episode on this podcast looking in depth at Mick Schumacher. That was at a point where it looked like he might end up at Alfa Romeo rather than Haas, but there's an in-depth conversation there you can look back and listen to. But how excited are you about seeing him in F1? I'm intrigued more than excited. I mean, it's it's an exciting addition to the grid having the, the Schumacher name just because of the weight that it carries. Um, but uh, putting that aside, just putting all the, you know, the the the... the perception of, of of that name and what it carries just just as as a driver just looking at him as a driver i'm quite intrigued by him because he he he, he does do unexpected things like that that second season of formula three the second half of that second season of f3 was astounding. He, he just suddenly stepped it up to such a level. He was he's more or less unbeatable, having looked, f- you know, okay up until that point. And similarly, his first season of F two, he looked okay, but you know, looked a little bit underprepared to be honest. And then th- this year, 
um, I mean, he's, he's leading the championship on merit. Um, he's not blindingly fast. He hasn't shown he's blindingly fast in F2. He's, um, you know, but he's been quick and competitive and he, he delivers on race day. So I think he's very intelligent. Um, he's quick enough to, to be a, a credible Formula One driver. How much he can develop that foundation um, will probably be down to how you know how intelligently uh, he applies himself, and I, I've got no doubts that he he, he will be um, applying himself very well. So there's no real there's no real pressure on him um, that the Haas isn't going to be a great car. It, it, it's it's basically this year's car. Um, he has a rookie teammate, so yeah, I think um, it's going to be a long-term interesting project and I, I, I can see him here for um, a, a time to come yet it's just you know we're discussing whether George Russell is, 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 a, is a good Grand Prix driver or a great Grand Prix driver we were looking on the eve of Mick Schumacher and questioning is is he a, a worthy F, F1 driver or is he a good F1 driver so the that's that's where we're at, and I, I'm in, I'm intrigued to find out because I, th- I think there's something there. I think there's there's definitely some potential there. Yeah, I've been impressed by that progress he's been able to make during during seasons. I think yes, you want to see someone drop in and be stellar straight away, but these drivers who keep working away always impress me. He's clearly got a little bit of the old uh, the old Schumacher approach uh, in in that one. So yeah, interesting to see how he doesn't. Great drive on Saturday in the, the Bahrain feature race, tenth on the grid, title rival Callum Eilert on pole looking down the barrel of a potential big point swing against him but great first lap good race minimize the losses that that's a, a really encouraging sign how about the other driver Nikita Mazepin now he's not so highly regarded 21 year old basically it's it's family money that's got him there but he's third in F2 he's won feature races had a run at the GP3 championship in 2018 finishing second to the late Antoine Hubert so he He's another driver who is perhaps a little bit better than people are maybe giving him credit for. Yeah, you got to give him his due, regardless of, of uh, how how he was um, able to where, where, where how his funding um, eased his passage, let's say. But like, you know, you still got to deliver, and he's had a very competitive Formula Two season and um, a, a more a more competitive season than anyone would probably have expected, given his previous seasons that, uh, in F two. Um, so I think, yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a credible driver at that level of the grid. And uh, again, another intelligent guy, quite an intelligent guy. But um, we just know from listening to him explain things, he's um, quite clear in his thought processes. So, um, yeah, I think it's um, it'll be interesting to see how the two of them compare. And that's probably going to be all, all we're going to have to gauge their progress on their their comparison to each other um in in this first year but uh, yeah it's it's um he's certainly certainly a credible addition to the grid i don't think um there is a stigma of of being the, the billionaire's son like we have with lance stroll and, and nicholas latifi but it doesn't really matter if you can produce it you, you you're worthy of a place there um and so yeah let's let's see i i see no reason why he, he won't be able to do that yeah, and his CV is worthy of it. The thing that I do quite like about Masipin is I remember a few years ago when he was first doing that that development program with Force India, I was asked to do an interview with him for F1 Racing. So I sat down with him for the time and spoke to him. And I, 
you can tell you know sometimes when you speak to drivers you can tell there's a sort of underlying intelligence and the right sort of approach so I, uh, that's always been in evidence so I think that's quite encouraging for him because it's going to be a, a tough season as you say for them uh, next year but maybe he can uh, maybe he can make something of it and it'd be interesting to see how they how they both get on any sympathy for Callum Eilert? That's the second sympathy question for the for the podcast. Is he joining Stoffel Van Dorn in Sympathy Corner? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, um, I would love to have uh, seen how he got on in the um, in, in the Haas at the Nurburgring that was fogged off, and whether he could have you know created an opportunity for himself in there because um, there are flashes of uh, inspirational stuff from him. Sometimes he's a bit up and down, but um, yeah, he he intrigues me because his best stuff is 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 superb and uh, that's the sort of driver that sometimes can take an f1 opportunity by the scruff of the neck and just sort of you know step up a whole gear um not saying that he definitely would but he he, he has that um sort of uh how do you mercurial f- um form about him and uh I, I would be very very intrigued to see him get a proper crack at it but yeah it's not to be so far anyway yeah, but as we can see, you never know when an opportunity might present itself. We see that this weekend with Pietro Fittipaldi also being in. So three drivers, two drivers making their F1 debut, three drivers making their debut for, for teams. So that's going to make it a really interesting weekend, plus the the fun of this, uh, this very, very interesting Bahrain outer circuit. It's going to be a great weekend. I'd, uh, I'd urge everyone to follow this one closely. If you thought this season was petering out, this is going to make it into a great story. Thanks very much, Mark Hughes, for your insight. Do follow therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. Loads of coverage of all these driver changes there, in-depth pieces on the various contenders if you want to have a look at the, their prospects for the future. Check out our YouTube channel. There's a video there where we discuss Mick Schumacher's prospects and also check out our sister podcasts, including the Gary Anderson F1 show. He has a very in-depth look at Roman Grosjean's crash in the latest edition. So join us, unless there's some more driver announcements that necessitate another extra podcast, on Sunday after the race for our in-depth review.